Good morning, City Light. Great to see you guys. My name is Doug, and man, I just love what God is doing here in Council Bluffs. He's on the move in some really awesome ways. I also really love what he's doing in Kansas City. You guys remember just a few months ago, we sent a team out to go plant a church in Kansas City. And here they are. They're having their core team gatherings on Sundays, preaching the Bible. They got City Light kids going. They got city groups going throughout the week. And man, I really believe that God approves of this church plant. Like he's proud of this church plant. How do I know that? Because the Chiefs are good this year. They, they are killing it, and it's like God's smile of approval on our church plant. Hashtag bad theology, okay? That's not actually how it works, but the Chiefs are good this year, and it's football season, and I, I promise this story's going somewhere, so just stick with me. I grew up in Texas, so it was pretty much ingrained in me to root for the Dallas Cowboys. In fact, my hometown was just a couple hours away from Dallas, and when I was in high school, there was a major announcement that the Dallas Cowboys were moving their training camp to my hometown. I mean, it was all over the place. It was on the billboards and the newspaper, on TV and other outdated modes of communication. It was a big deal. The Dallas Cowboys are coming to town. And whenever that news got out, people responded in different ways. There were some people who just received it with joy, and they were excited. They like got a roster so that they could memorize names and numbers and faces and see, oh, is there a cowboy out at the restaurant where they're eating? You know, that sort of thing. They planned their vacation days so that they could attend the training camp. There were other people who fought against us. They were like, no, we don't want all the tourists. We don't want all those people. It's going to tear up the fields at the local university. They kind of threw a fit and wrote letters to the editor and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then there were still others who they were like, oh, we could use this. <laughs> we could take advantage of this. We could make some money. We could maybe have some fun with this. That's what me and my friends did. We were like, oh, we could do something with this. So we hatched this brilliant plan. One of my brother's buddies had just got like a new Honda. It was really cool. It had gold trim, dark tinted windows. And we had this plan. We're going to make people think he's a Dallas cowboy, okay? So me and my brother and our friends, we went to this like security gate where the players drive into their parking lot. And so uh, we're there. There's always a crowd there looking for autographs. And we start telling them, hey, did you hear the cowboys signed a new punter? And this was before like the ESPN app and smartphones and all that sort of stuff. So we had a good 30, 60 minutes to like build up this crowd. He's a great, he's going to be an awesome new punter. And we hear he even has a Honda with gold trim and dark tinted windows, right? And everybody's like getting excited. They actually buy into this. And then right on cue, my brother's friend pulls in in his car and we're like, is that the new punter? And everybody, the whole crowd just gets so excited. It's the new punter. And they like run over like, give me your autograph. And so my friend, he's sitting in the car, windows down. And he said he was signing footballs and jerseys and hats and faces like right next to Jerry Jones and Troy Aikman's autograph. It was awesome. But then after a little bit, it was like the security guard's like, what's that car doing there, right? And so they start walking over. So we like break through the crowd. We're like, dude, you got to get out of here. So he puts it in reverse. He leaves. And then we try to walk away from the scene as quickly as we can without getting caught. I mean, we had a blast. We used that news about the Cowboys coming to town for our own purposes. Thankfully, none of us 
got arrested or tackled or had to pay for that special edition football that we just run for somebody, right? Like, man, the Cowboys came to town, and some people, they fought against it. Some people just received it with joy, and others, like us, we used it for our own gain. Now, why does that matter? Here's why. This morning, we're in Acts chapter 19, and we're looking at what happens when Jesus comes to town. What happens when Jesus shows up? How do people respond? Like, what do they do? And why does this matter to us, City Light? It matters because make no mistake, guys, get this. We are here because we want Jesus to come to Council Bluffs. We want to see his kingdom come and his will be done right here in our city. We're not here to just like fill a building or grow an organization or gather donations. No, we're here because we want to see Jesus come to our town. So what happens when he does that? Acts 19 gives us three snapshots of what happens when Jesus comes to town. Three responses of people. So we'll pick up the first one in verse 1. Acts 19, 1 through 7 kind of gives us this first response. Verse 1 says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Now, you got to know, Paul, he was all about Jesus. Like, Jesus came to town in his own heart, radically changed Paul, and ever since then, Paul would go from town to town to town to tell them about Jesus, and here he comes to the town, the city of Ephesus, and when he gets there, it says, there he found some disciples. Now, these disciples, we'll find out in the next few verses, they were good people trying to live good lives and do good deeds. Along the way, someone had come to Ephesus and told these disciples about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this guy kind of right before Jesus showed up on the scene, and his message was repent, like get your life in order, get your life straight so that you're ready when God comes. So that's what these people were doing, but they hadn't even heard of Jesus or the Holy Spirit. So Paul, he tells them about Jesus. And when these people hear about Jesus, when Jesus comes to town, what's their response? They simply received Jesus. Some people, when Jesus comes to town, they just receive Jesus. And you might be like me. When I first hear that phrase, receive Jesus, I immediately go back to being about six years old, sitting in a Sunday school classroom with a bunch of kids, and there's a teacher sitting on a small chair up at the front. She's kind of sitting down, got her hands cupped, and she's telling all of us cute church kids that we're sinners and we need to receive Jesus, kind of like a Christmas gift. You like open it up, and there's a little figurine of Jesus, and you put it in your heart for whenever you're lonely or sad at night, receive Jesus. Jesus, that's what I think of when I hear those words. But when the Bible talks about receiving Jesus, it paints a different picture. When the Bible talks about receiving Jesus, it's more like a woman when she gets married and she receives a new name. She receives her husband's name. For example, my bride, my wife, Whitney. On December 16, 2004, she was Whitney Thompson. But on December 17, 2004, she became 
Whitney Stevens. She took on my name. She received my name. She was still Whitney in many ways, but it's also like she had a whole new identity. That's what the Bible means when it says, receive Jesus. Now, how did that play out for these disciples in Acts chapter 19? Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. So they've heard about John the Baptist, and they were even baptized in his way his style. But Paul says to them, hey, listen, John, he baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So baptism is all about identity. It's about receiving or taking on a name. These guys had been baptized, taking on the name of John the Baptist. That is all about repentance, living that good life, changing your ways, getting ready. What Paul helps them do is, is he connects the dots. Hey, guys, that John the Baptist stuff, it was all about getting you ready to hear about Jesus. John the Baptist wanted to pave the way so that when Jesus came to town, you'd be ready to say yes to him. So, verse 5, how do they respond? On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They took on his identity. They received his name. They received Jesus. And I think this response here, many of us and our friends, we can connect with this. I mean, I know Council Bluffs is full of tens of thousands of people who are trying to be good and live good lives and do good deeds. They want to be kind to their neighbor and work hard and stay out of trouble. And some people even take that to the degree that they're like, and I'm going to go to church on Sundays and hear a message and sing songs. And maybe that's even you this morning. You know in your heart that you should be a good person and you no, yeah, 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 there's a God, and Grandma always said that God's at church, and so you're here. You're like these disciples in Ephesus, and it's kind of like my friend Nady. Nady's in our church, helps lead a city group, and she grew up um, many years of her life as a Mormon. She believed that she could be good and that she should be good, that she should be kind to her neighbors and do what the church says and learn as much as she can about God. But then in her sophomore year at Brigham Young University, Nady meets a friend, and this friend starts telling her about Jesus. And this friend, he, he says that Jesus is God, Jesus is loving, and Jesus alone lived that good life that she aspired to. Jesus alone lived that perfect life. And Nady, as she hears this, she starts to resonate with it a little bit because as much as Nady tried to live a good life, she said, man, I still knew there was bad inside me. She, she couldn't help but acknowledge there was some sort of sin inside of her. So she's hearing about Jesus, and she's having these wrestles, right? I, I know I'm supposed to be a good person, but I can't quite, maybe Jesus Jesus is good for me in my place. And her friend, he just keeps pointing her back to Jesus over and over again until one night, finally in her apartment, Nady received Jesus. She took on the identity of Jesus and she let Jesus be good for her in her place. Oddly enough, a while later, a few years later, she also married that friend of hers. His name is Zach Hess, and she took on his name as well, and now they're married with a few kids. But listen, this morning, if you are that person and you're striving to live a good life apart from Jesus, can I just invite you this morning, receive Jesus. 
your good works, your attempts to do the right thing, your efforts and abilities, they simply aren't good enough. I mean, good on you for trying. That's great. But we both know, you and I, that that bad is still stuck in us. And we can't shake it off. So this morning, receive Jesus. No amount of good works can ever measure up to the perfection that God requires and the perfection that Jesus lives. So this morning, trust Jesus, receive Jesus, and let him be good for you and through you. So when Jesus comes to town, the first response is some people, they just receive Jesus. They say yes to him. Then there's a second response, and we pick that up in verse 11, and uh, it says this. Eric read this part. It says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them. Now, can we just pause there and say, that is cool, right? Like, that is awesome. A mighty move of God, legit work of God. Could you imagine if this sort of stuff was happening in Council Bluffs, somebody dream with me a little bit. Man, we'd be going to the hospitals and praying for people, and they'd get healed. <laughs> Your coworker would come into the office with a bad cough. You'd pray for him, and he would leave with a clear throat. Your baby might wake up with an ear infection and pain. You'd pray over her. She'd be healed and sleep pain-free. All the moms are like, Jesus, come to my town, right? This is awesome. When Jesus comes to town, this sort of stuff happens. People get healed in the name of Jesus. And in Ephesus, it was more than just that. The end of verse 12 says, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I first hear that phrase, I immediately think of like horror movies, like these creepy scenes, right? But in Ephesus, this was almost like um, a, a job for some people. There were these guys, they had day jobs, but their side hustle was casting evil spirits out of people or trying to cast evil spirits out of people. And so these guys, these exorcists, they hear about Paul's Kleenex thing and they're like, oh, we could do something with that. And so when Jesus came to town, how did they respond? They used Jesus. They saw this as an opportunity to make some money. They saw it as an opportunity to get famous. They saw it as an opportunity uh, to get rich. So they used Jesus. They're like, Jesus is here. Cool stuff is happening. Maybe we can get in on that. Maybe we can cash in on that and use it for ourselves. They used Jesus. And I think if we're honest, we do the same thing, don't we? I know it's a temptation for me. Yay, the church is growing and people are being saved and healed and set free. I wonder if I could make a living off of this. You know, I, I wonder if I could get a raise out of this or make a name for myself. I'm using Jesus. Or maybe you have a girlfriend and she's into God and Jesus and that sort of stuff. And, and you're thinking, you know what? If I'll go to Citigroup and give her what she wants, maybe that night she'll give me what I want. You're using Jesus. Or maybe at work, your boss is a Christian, and so you try to talk Christian language and tell her you'll pray for her all the while you really just want to get that raise or that promotion. You're using Jesus. Instead of receiving Jesus and taking on 
his identity, we use Jesus to build our own identity. Instead of submitting to Jesus as Lord, we try to manipulate Jesus like a formula. Instead of releasing our lives into his hands, we try to hold him in our hand like a formula. We use Jesus. Now, let's just look and see what happened to these exorcist guys in Acts 19, okay? It's kind of funny, right? Or maybe scary or a little bit of both, right? Because when they try to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus or like work Jesus into their evil spirit casting out formula, the demon, he, the evil spirit, he responds and he says, okay, we're going to do something here, right? He makes fun of them and then he beats them and they leave the house injured and naked, okay? Now, anybody who ever tells you the Bible is a boring book, they're wrong, right? Because, yeah, let's just read it. Verse 15, here we go. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Okay, you don't ever want to hear that from a demon, just so you know, okay? If you're ever in this situation, just start running fast. Verse 16, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Not a good situation. This is like the Incredible Hulk in the Age of Ultron when he grabs Loki and is just throwing him around the room like a rag doll. Guys, gentlemen, in this room, okay, if you ever start a fight with your pants on and you leave that fight running with your pants off, you lost the fight, okay? <laughs> just so you know. It's not a good situation. Well, not surprisingly, the story of this news, uh, uh, the news of this story, it spreads all over town and people like, they get scared. And so some of these side hustle exorcist guys, they quit their jobs, okay? And then there's Christians who had been practicing witchcraft. They hear this and they go, oh, whoa, like witchcraft is a sin. We shouldn't do that. And so they quit doing that all the way to the degree that these Christians, they gather their old like witchcrafty books, pile them all up and they burn them to totally get rid of them. This, uh, it says there was 50,000 pieces of silver. Estimates would say, man, that's one to five million dollars worth of books. They could have cashed that in on eBay. They could have sold that on OfferUp, but instead they just burn it all. Why did they burn it? Why didn't they make some money off of it? Why? Because they wanted to receive Jesus, not use Jesus. They, they learned their lesson. When you use Jesus, you get exposed. When you use Jesus, you lose your pants, right? So if you're this morning, you know you're in a spot where you're using Jesus, can I invite you to receive him instead? Receive him, take on his identity. Instead of trying to use him to build your own identity, receive him and let him give you a brand new identity in him. And in that identity, I can serve our church instead of earn a paycheck. In that identity, you can serve that girl instead of use her for your own pleasure. In that identity, you can work your job instead of manipulate your boss. So don't use Jesus. Instead, receive Jesus. That's the second response when Jesus comes to town. Now in verse 23, we get a third response, this third snapshot of what happens when Jesus comes to town. The first one is they receive him. Second one is some people use him. The third one is some people fought Jesus. 
They fought against Jesus. Now, in Ephesus, it was very common for people to worship idols, these little silver idols. And their favorite idol by far was this Greek goddess named Artemis. I mean, Artemis was precious to these people. She was the daughter of Zeus and the brother to Apollo, and she was like this hunter, protector, guardian sort of goddess. She protected animals and children and people. I mean, Artemis was everything to the Ephesians. They had literally built their city and their economy around Artemis. And so there's some silversmiths. These are the people who actually made those little idols to sell to people. They kind of got smart and they realized, you know what? If Jesus keeps coming to town, it won't be long before we don't have a job anymore. If people stop this Artemis worshiping thing and start the Jesus worshiping thing, that's not good for us because when people start worshiping Jesus, they get rid of their idols and they don't buy anymore. So these silversmiths, they fight against Jesus. They start spreading things all over town about how, man, Jesus could ruin their economy or things could, we could lose the pride of our city. They're fighting against Jesus. They're afraid he's going to take down their cherished goddess. And so it ends up with this huge huge mob in a large local amphitheater, okay? I've actually been to Ephesus and like stood in the remains of this theater. It could seat 25,000 people. It's larger than any structure in Council Bluffs, and it was full on this day with people who were mad, enraged, shouting, yelling, and they wanted to run Jesus out of town. They wanted to shut Jesus down. The crowd is going wild. They're trying to attack some Jesus followers. It's a whole big scene. Thankfully, eventually, a town clerk stands up and says, hey, guys, stop throwing your fit. Like, we got courts. We can work this out. Let's not get in trouble. And they listen to him, and they all go home, okay? That's the story of them fighting against Jesus. Here's what I want us to catch. Why did they fight against Jesus? Why did they fight against Jesus? I mean, when Jesus came to town, people were being set free from evil spirits. People were being healed. People were receiving Jesus. What's so bad about that? Why, why did they fight against Jesus? It wasn't because Jesus was mean. It wasn't because they thought there were contradictions in the Bible. It wasn't because they thought church people were being rude to them. Why did they fight against Jesus? They fought against Jesus because they loved Artemis. They fought against Jesus because they loved Artemis. Look at verse 27. In verse 27, a silversmith says this, and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. I mean, do you hear their love for Artemis, the emotions that they've attached to Artemis. Go down to verse 28. It says, when they, the, the crowd, heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Skip down to verse 34. About two, for about two hours straight, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, this is more than football, okay? This is uh, more than the Cowboys, more than the Hawkeyes or the Cyclones, even when they're in the top 25, right? This is passion. This is devotion. They adored Artemis. They needed 
Artemis. So why did they fight against Jesus? Because they loved Artemis. Now, lean in and catch this, okay? Why do we fight against Jesus? Right, like Jesus comes to town in your heart and you receive him. You say yes to him and he's working in your heart and he's doing awesome stuff. And you're like, yes, Lord, keep going. And then he gets to something and he says, hey, can we talk about this? Can we deal with that? And your response is no. (laughs) Not cool, Jesus. We are not going there. Why do we do that? Why do we fight against Jesus? Because we love something else more. And chances are it's not a Greek goddess or a little silver idol. It's probably something more like a paycheck or a bank account or a relationship with a special someone or your children growing up to be those perfect angels you always want them to be. Or for me, it's my comfort. Why do we fight against Jesus? I mean, when he's coming, we will high-five him when he heals us. We will praise him when he helps us. But then all of a sudden, he says, hey, we need to deal with, and you can fill in the blank. We fight against Jesus because we love something else more. Here's how it played out in my life, okay? Just yesterday. Yesterday was supposed to be like this day of rest for our family. Like we we try to do these like low-key, chill-out days where we just try to rest, okay? We got five kids, so I know it doesn't really work. But anyways, we wake up in the morning. I go downstairs with the kids, and I'm like, I'm going to help them get breakfast together, just serve them, all that good stuff. Well, I love my two-year-old son, and I know this might be TMI, but we're trying to get him to poop on the toilet, okay? And I'm like trying to get breakfast going, and he's doing the poopy dance, okay? All you parents, you know what I'm talking about. And so I'm like, no, no, don't do that. We take him to the toilet. 20 minutes later, after sitting on a stool right in front of the toilet, nothing, okay? We get, I put his diaper back on him, all that sort of stuff. Like 30 seconds later, poops his diaper. I'm like, oh, man, okay. I'm trying to get breakfast going. Now I got to change a diaper, all that. And then he's doing the poopy dance again. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're driving me crazy. Take him back to the toilet, sit there for 20 minutes in front of the porcelain um, thing and all that. And then... I get him up, nothing happened there, he poops his diaper again. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're driving me crazy, okay? So I am not in a good place, don't have the best attitude, and then after that, my wife comes downstairs. In my mind, my wife's just been upstairs, sleeping in, you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm like, listen, babe, I'm going upstairs, I gotta take a break, I am stressed out. And she's like, oh, well, I haven't had a break either, I was upstairs helping the girls. In the midst of all the poop stuff, my daughters had gone back upstairs and needed some help, and I was like, well, whatever, I'm going upstairs, you can deal with this mess, okay? And I just went upstairs. It wasn't my finest moment as a husband, okay? I go upstairs and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna read through my sermon. I need to like prepare for that, practice that, that sort of stuff. And the Holy Spirit goes, hey Doug, can we talk about what just happened? I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm like, I know I need to. I know I need to. So I sit down and I pull out a prayer journal where I talk to God and listen to God, that sort of stuff. And I'm like, God, I know my heart's not in a good spot. I'm, I'm sorry. I confess it, a sin, all that sort of stuff. And I say, I pray this prayer. God, show me, show me what it is that I'm loving more than you right now. And immediately, it was so easy. It was comfort, right? It was supposed to be my day of rest. They weren't being perfect angels. It was supposed to be my day of rest. He kept pooping his diaper, right? Like, I wanted my comfort, and God wasn't giving me my comfort. And so I say, God, I confess, I was loving comfort more than you. Now, this is how God responded. God said to me, Doug, I love you more. I love you more than comfort can love you. I I love you more than a crowd, more than a church, more than social media followers. 
I love you more than your wife does. I love you more than your children. He knew that I loved comfort more, but he said, man, I can love you greater. I can love you more. When we bring our Artemis, our idol to God, what's his response? He says, I can love you more. Oh, city light, may we lay down our lesser loves that can't satisfy us. And may we instead come to God who will say, I'll love you better. I will love you greater. Can I ask you this morning, what is your Artemis? What is that idol that you probably didn't build it with your hands? It's more in your mind with your aspirations and your imagination. What is your Artemis that makes you fight against Jesus and inside you chant, this is greater, this is greater. For some of you this morning, it's this right here that keeps you from just receiving Jesus in the first place. From putting your faith and trust in Jesus in the first place. You know that Jesus is good. You know that Jesus is faithful. You know even that Jesus died to forgive your sins and bring you into a relationship with God. And your problem isn't really Jesus but it's that you love something more than Jesus. Maybe it's yourself, your independence, your pleasure, your bank account, your reputation. Maybe it's your religion or even your pain. And for you this morning, the invitation is maybe most difficult because even though you know that love of yours can't satisfy you. Even though you feel your own emptiness and brokenness, you also know that's all you've got right now. And sometimes something feels better than nothing. But can you just hang with me for a moment? Just entertain these questions for me. What if there is a greater lover? What if Jesus can love you better and you don't actually need that idol. What if the one that you're fighting against is actually fighting for you, and he won't give up that fight precisely because he loves you greater? That love of yours, it can never satisfy. It didn't live a perfect life. It didn't die in your place or raise from the dead. It hasn't chased you when you ran away and found you in the furthest corners of your heart but Jesus did. Jesus lived a perfect life and he died in your place and he rose again and so now he can chase you when you run away and find you in the furthest corners of your heart and even when you've sold out all the tickets to the theater of your heart and you bought them yourself and you're standing there and you're chanting, this is greater, this is greater, Jesus comes beside you and he says, I love you and I can love you greater. This morning, would you hear the voice of Jesus even over your own chance and let him be your greater love. Let him love you better. City Light, when Jesus comes to town, people respond. Some people receive him with joy. Others use him for their own gain and still others fight against him. But make no mistake, everybody responds. The question this morning is which one are you? Would you pray with me? Let's pray and ask God to do a work in our hearts. Oh, Father God, would you come? Would you draw near to us even now? Speak to us. Let us hear your voice. Mm. 
Father, I pray that those in this room who they, they've received Jesus, they've taken on his name, his identity. Oh, would you just pour out your love on them and let them know that they're in you, that you've identified them, that you've given them a new name, that you love them forever. And may they be full of praise for all of Jesus and all that he's done, all that he is. Father God, would you speak to them? And Father, for those of us in this room who have used your son Jesus, or maybe we're tempted to use Jesus, would you just help us to realize that doesn't go well? It's a game that we can't win. And would you get, help us just to surrender, to give that up, to be honest and acknowledge that, just like these Christians in Ephesus who realized and said, oh no, we don't want anything to do with that. Father, any way that we're using your son Jesus for our own benefit, for our own fame, for our own wealth, would you help us to throw that down, burn our books, and be done with that? Would you give us the gift of repentance, the gift of change? May we receive Jesus instead of use him. And Father, for those this morning who are fighting against Jesus, they're brave enough to be here. We're so thankful for that. But in their hearts, they're just wrestling. They want to push you away, keep you at arm's length. Would you help them to see what it is that they love more? Their Artemis, that thing that they think they need or can't live without. And then, Father, would you help us just to lay that down? Father, I laid down my comfort. I know it can't satisfy me. I know it can't ever fill me up like I want to be filled. And Jesus, instead, I know you fill me. Your love is greater. Your name is greater. Your power is is greater. Father, help us to identify our Artemis, our idol, and lay it down so that we can have you instead. Oh, would you work all across this room now for your glory and your praise, we pray.